Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, this morning. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 15. Reading in verse 21 through verse number 28. Matthew, chapter 15, verse number 21 through verse number 28. As I have mentioned over the past several weeks, Jesus' earthly ministry, and particularly this ministry in this region, is coming to an end and He is moving toward the cross. We are just months away, less than a year away within time frame from when our Lord will go to the cross. He will continue to work miracles and have interaction with different individuals, but He is headed to Calvary. As you will hear in the reading of the Scripture this morning, that Christ came first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and He came, as He says in the Word, He came to the Jew first, and then to the Greek, to the Gentile. And this is portrayed so beautifully in the text that I'm about to read. The overall redemptive plan of God is, is portrayed just in these verses, in this account of Jesus acknowledging the great faith of this woman that we call the Syrophoenician woman. Follow with me in the text in Matthew 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed unto the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, Help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. The parallel account of this story can be read in Mark 7, verse 24 through 30. And I may reference that at some point if I say something about this. It's not in the text. If you would look at Mark 7, 24 through 30, it may be something that I have lifted out of Mark's account of this encounter of Jesus with this Canaanite, Gentile, Syrophoenician woman. The four Gospels, of course, are perfect. There's no contradictions. Yet each of them record different aspects of different scenarios and different stories. And such is the case in Matthew 15 and Mark 7 in regard to this woman. There are many great statements made in this passage I'm preaching this morning on the great faith in verse 28 
of this Syrophoenician woman, a statement the Lord made about her, O woman, great is thy faith. If this were the first time you had ever heard about Jesus or read about Jesus, in reading this text this morning, you may wonder just what kind of a Savior He is. You may be puzzled by His response. Now we come to the text this morning knowing more than just this story. We know about His compassion, about His patience, about His purposes and His mercy. We know about Him. And so when we read this, we don't come to the conclusion that our Lord was insensitive or rude to this woman. We understand about Him, and so we understand that what He is doing here is the development of this woman's faith. But for many to read this passage, and even for those of us who know Him, it seems a little strange, a little odd, in how Jesus reacts and responds to this woman. But we are talking about faith. Jesus is talking and teaching her about faith, talking to her and teaching her about faith as well as He is to us. There is so much misunderstanding this morning and so much false teaching in regard to the subject of biblical faith. It goes beyond just those who claim to be faith healers. It goes even further to those who take the wonderful truth of faith and they turn it into a name-it-claim-it kind of Christianity. You have heard them. The more, pop, the, more, uh, the more formidable word for that group is called Word of Faith Movement. They see faith as a commodity. If you have enough of it, then you can trade with God. If you have enough of it, you can bargain with God. Now, they would deny that all day, but that is the basis of the Word of Faith movement. And then on the other side of that, if you don't have enough faith, then God will not heal you or God will not bless you or nothing will be done in your life. I know I have given this illustration before, but it goes back to the late 70s, somewhere around 1978, 1979. And uh, for those of you born after 2000, yes, those were real years in which some of us lived. And, uh, and many, of, many of the people here today my age and older will remember the days in the 60s and early 70s when open-heart surgery just became available and if you ever experienced that, or if you have had a loved one to experience that, it was a horrible thing to go through. I can remember as a pastor going in and, and seeing members that I pastored who had just come out of open-heart surgery, and they were often unrecognizable. You can't imagine the tubes and, the, and everything. And they would often just be in intensive care for days and days, and now... Uh, you go to the hospital, and unless something goes wrong, you go home in a couple of days after open-heart surgery. But I remember standing in the North Tire of Baptist Hospital in the late 70s. One of our members was having surgery, open-heart surgery, and I was standing there in the waiting room with his family. And I remember a young girl who had went back just to see her dad who had just had surgery, and she came out weeping and crying and uncontrollable because it is a bad sight to see that. And I remember her mother and sisters getting around her. And then this man, I later found out to be her preacher, who got her and turned her around up against the wall and got in her, in her face and said this, 
Anything you see in there that is discouraging you or causing you to doubt is because of your lack of faith and doubt. He said, if you don't get a grip and have biblical faith, he said, your dad will never survive that surgery. He laid all the blame of what was happening in that room, which actually healing was happening in that room, but because it was an instantaneous which matched with their theology, you have to lay the blame on someone. And in that case, he laid the blame on that young girl. I was very patient. I was much younger then. And I have to, remind, have to be honest that the verse that came to my mind was out of Proverbs, where it says, The ringing of the nose bringing, bringeth forth blood. And I wanted to apply that verse to that preacher, but I stood there. But I felt so horrible for that young lady. Uh, all the guilt of that, that's what that kind of faith does. Even worse, Word of Faith teachers openly say that if you have any difficulty in your life, financial, health, real, anything, all of that can be traced back to your lack of faith. Thank God we have the truth about faith written in the Word of God. And especially here in this passage that we read this morning, the encounter of Jesus with a pagan Canaanite woman and Jesus is going to show us what true faith looks like. He's going to show us true faith in action. And He's going to show us His wisdom in how He developed this woman's faith. He challenged it, but yet He develops it as an example to us of great faith. First of all, where is Jesus in verse number 21? His location is important. The Bible said Jesus went thence or went from this place. He departed and he comes to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. He goes out. His movement is he leaves this vicinity. He is withdrawing, as we've said in the past weeks, from the mounting pressure that's around him from the multitude. It's the language of retreating. Our Lord's purpose here is to get alone and to be with his disciples. He is moving away from Herod's situation with John Baptist. He's moving away from the feeding of the multitudes. He is moving away from uh, uh, the Pharisees and scribes with whom he has just dealt. He is moving to a quiet place. His destination, according to verse 21, is Tyre and Sidon. Tyre is a seaport about 34 miles northwest of Capernaum. Sidon is 24 miles north on the coast, located in what we would know today as modern-day Lebanon. But basically, he's moving into Gentile territory. That's where he is moving. Remember, he has just encountered the Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem. They have come down to confront him about what is, what is unclean and what is clean. Jesus now is moving into Gentile territory. And what that is saying to us in verse number 21 is thank God His kingdom knows no ethnic, His kingdom knows no racial, His kingdom knows no national, His kingdom knows no gender barriers. There's nothing to, to there's a, not a barrier to His kingdom. All who come to Him, all who come to Him and believe on Him are brought into His great kingdom. But this region of Tyre and Sidon has biblical history. 
It was a Gentile trading area where goods were sent all over the region. Sunday school teachers may remember in your teaching and studies on King David's palace, you may remember that he got goods and materials from King Hiram in the Old Testament to build his palace. He was a great friend of his. But after King Hiram died, things uh, really took a turn and Tyre and Sidon became a, became a very evil Gentile territory. As a matter of fact, Isaiah says in chapter 23, verse 7 of his prophecy that Tyre and Sidon, he referred to them as a prostitute defiled by her trade. Ezekiel in his prophecy, chapter 26, verse 2, tells us that Tyre and Sidon had actually mocked the fall of Israel and celebrated that fall whenever they went into captivity. So our Lord is moving now. He's in territory where you don't expect to find faith. He is in territory that is unfriendly to Him. He is in territory that is unfriendly to the gospel and to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He meets this woman. Who is this woman? Where is Jesus? Verse 21. Who is this woman? In verse 22, Matthew says, And behold, look here. Matthew says, Look, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast. What coast? The coast of Tyre and Sidon. She comes out of the same coast, and she cries out unto Jesus, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. And she tells him, My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Who is this woman? Now Mark, in Mark 7, 26, calls her a Greek, and he calls her a Syrophoenician. And so you've often heard her referred to as the Syrophoenician woman. That identifies her nationality. Matthew describes her for us here as a woman of Canaan, which means she was a Canaanite. That meant that she's a descendant of the very people that God had commanded Joshua to destroy back in the conquering of the promised land. Canaanite women in particular are the focus of Deuteronomy 7, 1-6, in which God warned the men of Israel, do not intermarry with Canaanite women, because they were pagan. And He says, they will turn your heart away from the true God. Here is our Savior, the perfect, sinless Son of God, who is moving away, trying to locate a place of rest and retreat with His disciples, and a pagan woman, a pagan woman whose territory from which she came, whose nationality and heritage that she was raised in has all been tainted with God-defined, pagan, ungodly, unwholesome lifestyles. That's where this woman is rooted. And she comes. She would have been accounted a complete outcast, a complete outcast by the Jews. Some say that's why the disciples, in verse 23, said to Jesus, Send her away, for she crieth after us. Some say they wanted Jesus to quickly heal her and get rid of her, or just get rid of her altogether. I don't know that we know which one is exactly right, but either way, this woman would have been a total outcast to the Jewish race and the Jewish people. Notice not only her identity, but notice the condition of her daughter. She says to Jesus, in verse 22, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. And then she says, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Mark tells us in Mark 7.25 that her daughter is young, emphasizing the young age and the 
literal helplessness of this young girl. If you take what Mark said in Matthew, it is highly possible that someone was having to stay with her little girl while she is approaching Jesus because she no doubt could never have been left alone. She's vexed with the devil. In other words, she was demon-possessed. Demon possession is a very serious spiritual affliction. There's much of it in our land today, much of it in our area, much of it in in our communities today. Now, it's not identified as that anymore. It's identified as other things, but it is still an affliction of the enemy. What is demon possession? It's when a demon, a fallen angel, a spiritual being, takes over the mind, the personality, and even the body of a human being. And this young daughter was suffering terribly along with her mother. No one can imagine what they were going through. And she was deeply burdened about her daughter. And so Jesus is in her region. He has come into her territory. And so she cries out to Him for help. Notice her cry. Remember, this woman is a Canaanite. She's a pagan. She's living in a pagan land. She has an ungodly nationality, an ungodly heritage. But she turns away from all of her idols. Having been raised a Canaanite, having been raised in Tyre and Sidon, having lived here, this woman would have, been, would have worshipped idols. She would have had all sorts of pagan deities around her. And yet on this occasion, she, a non-Jew, a Gentile, a pagan woman, cries out and says unto Jesus, notice her language, have mercy, that's biblical language, O Lord, that's biblical language, thou son of David, that's messianic language, and she says, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. I don't know where she knew what she knew and how she knew what she knew, but she is saying to Jesus words of mercy. She is saying to Jesus that He is Lord. Now, some say she was just giving Him the basic respect of the day. Okay, we'll give her that. But where does this thou son of David stuff come from? Somewhere, somewhere, somehow, there's been the messianic prophecy she has either heard or someone has explained to her about Christ being the Messiah. She turns away from her idols and her pagan heritage to Christ. She knows that no one can help her daughter. No one can deliver her daughter. None but Jesus Christ. Can I say this morning right here in our nation, right here in our state, right here in our city and county, as we, under the banner of increasing intelligence and under the banner of increasing wisdom and knowledge, if we, under that banner, continue to push our culture away from the Word of God and away from the truth of God, How will we end up being anything but absolutely pagan like this woman was? We need to hear the truth. And there's people who say that preaching like this, teaching like we do, reading the Word of God like you do, sharing your faith with others, isn't accomplishing anything. Somehow, a pagan, Gentile, Syrophoenician woman coming from a territory that is known for rejecting God and turning their back on faith, somehow this woman has heard that He is the Son of David. That's why we keep preaching and teaching and telling the story. That's why you tell your children truth even when they look back at you for coming from a culture that wants to deny everything you tell them. You keep telling them the truth. 
because God in His mercy, God in His grace, may bring them to saving faith. This is a desperate woman. You may be here this morning like this desperate mother. You're hurting deeply with some affliction in your life. Maybe you have no track record of ever living for God or knowing God. But God brought you here this morning or God has you listening to this word this morning so you can stand in line like this woman and understand there is someone that can change your life and change your sinful circumstances and that someone is Jesus. You don't you won't be saved just from looking around you. This woman is not finding what she needs by looking around her. And this woman can't save you herself, but Jesus can. And what this woman is saying to us out of this text is this. I see my daughter. I see the need. I see the problem. And I see all of these gods that I have and all of this heritage that I have that is anti-God and anti-Christ, and I find nothing in them to deliver my daughter. I see Jesus. I have heard that He is able. And I am here in my faith that He has given to me. My faith may be weak. My faith may be minimal. But I bring to Him what He has given to me. And I come to Him and I say to Him in these verses, My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Man, this is the place. Where the curtain closes, scene one is over, the curtain opens, scene two. And Jesus is the hero of the story, and He says to her, You thank God you, you admitted your need, go your way, your daughter's made whole. But verse 23, close the curtain. He answered her not a word. He never responded. He acted as if she wasn't even there. And I don't know how his, how his disciples interpreted her coming, and I don't know how they interpreted His response, but they say to Him in verse number 23, Send her away. How absolutely unlike Jesus this non-response is. If you look at our Lord's consistent pattern in His earthly ministry, this is not it. When people come to Him looking to Him for help, he normally stops and deals with that person and that need. His ministry all through the pages of the gospel is marked with compassion, is marked with Him dealing with those. He goes to a well and a woman is different. He stands under a sycamore tree and a man's life is completely changed. He goes in the night to speak to a man, Nicodemus. This is an unrealistic scene here when you look at the history of our Lord. But He answers her not a word. It seems as if he is totally ignoring her. Charles Spurgeon, in a message from this text, said this, and I quote, The Word, capital W-O-R-D, spoke not a word. Little W-O-R-D, end quote. Spurgeon said, The Word spoke not a word. And with that said, he's reminding us this morning that this is about mercy and this is about grace. Can I just remind you this morning that God does not owe us a hearing. God does not owe us a response. You say, well now, I believe in Christ. He owes me salvation. That's word of faith thinking, friend. 
God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe this woman anything. Anything He will do for this woman will be as she has requested. It will be because of the mercy of Almighty God. He answers her not a word. The disciples are annoyed by I think they're annoyed by her. I'm not sure, if they, as I said, if they wanted Jesus to heal her or just get rid of her. Either way, like typical Jews of that day, they wanted nothing to do with her, no compassion for her. They viewed her as a hindrance and an intrusion into their lives. And really at this point, maybe an intrusion into the overall plan of God for His, or His redemptive plan and His kingdom. I'm sure, I am sure there are religious people that are not excited that me and you are now His children adopted into His family and that we're going to be in His heaven. But thank God we are because of His grace and because of His mercy. Thirdly, Jesus spoke again with a seemingly insensitive message. But He answered in verse 24, He's he's talking to disciples, He answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. How do you take that? I wasn't sent here for her. I wasn't sent here for the... I was sent here for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Which that's exactly right. Romans 1.16 to the Jew first. Do you see how Christ is challenging her faith? Do you see how He is showing the picture of His redemptive plan? This Gentile just comes into Him and Jesus' response is seemingly more insignificant. He tells the disciples, and no doubt the woman is standing there hearing everything He's saying. He's saying, this Gentile woman does not fall within the parameters of my mission. I have come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yes, Jesus limited His ministry to the Jewish nation, but that was temporary. And all of us better thank God it was. Then the woman responds in verse 25, Then came she and worshipped him. You don't worship someone that you're in disagreement with. She has just confessed up in verse 22 of his mercy. She's asked for mercy. She's just confessed. And if, even if she's showing him just respect, the word Lord, it's... I think it's more than that because the word Lord pops up three times in this, in this text from her mouth. I think there's more to that than just, just common respect. But that son of David, that messianic, so she maybe a little understands what Jesus just said when he said, I am come not sent but into the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. It's as if she's saying, I know I'm not of that house. I'm not of that flock. I'm not of that heritage. I'm not of that group. But I've got a demon-possessed daughter. Help me. When we come to Christ, we bring nothing but who we are. We bring nothing but our sinfulness. We bring nothing of our heritage. We bring nothing of our pedigrees. We bring nothing of our works. We bring nothing of our, of our goods. None of that we bring to Christ. We just say, Lord, I don't understand all the theology of your redemptive plan. I don't understand all about all of that. I know you've come as the Messiah. I know you've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But in the midst of all of that, here I am, Lord. Lord, help me. Help me. That's what this woman does. She responds. She worships. Then she says three of the most important words any human can say in the presence of Jesus. Lord, 
help me. What a difference it'd make in every life if those three words could be uttered with the same urgency and the same reality of which this woman uttered these words this morning. Lord, help me. She recognized Him as God incarnate and appealed to Him for help. She didn't want any recognition. She did not care what Jesus said to her or how He seemed to treat her. Curtain closes on Act 3. Man, I'm looking forward to Act 4. This has got to be great. Opens up in verse 26. It gets worse. He calls her a dog. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread, or to take that referring to the people he came for, Israel. It's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs or to Gentiles. Now, he's not talking about the ravenous dogs, the wild mangy dogs that run in the street. He's talking about maybe even a house dog that was in the house that, that was just not up to the level of humanity. He throws that out to her. Now, I don't, I don't know how you interpret this, but either way you interpret it, he called her a dog. So you can go with the pet in the house, or you can do whatever you want to do with that, but he called her a dog. And what he is saying to her, it would not be right for parents to take food that was intended for their children and give it to dogs. That's what he was saying. Basically, I've come... To save the lost sheep of the house of Israel, it would not be meat for me to take what I brought for them and to give it to you. You're a Gentile. You say, dear God, preacher, this, he's so unfair. He's so harsh. Remember, she didn't even deserve a hearing with him, but she's having one. Right? Do you honestly think you deserve the gospel? Do you think you deserve the mercy of God? Do you think you are entitled to salvation? Now, if you're mixing your Christianity with nationalism, you probably do, because we in America think we deserve everything. We don't deserve anything but judgment. Jesus is speaking with her. Is He demeaning her as a human being? Boy, wouldn't you love to hear what the woke people in our nation would take, make of this story. I mean, this, this would be horrible. And more than that, Dear Lord, help me, I'm about to faint. He's being insensitive to a woman. I mean, in our culture, she should be the Savior, right? And then he's being so un uncaring. She's got a demon-possessed girl. And racially, do you not care about Gentiles? As I asked a few minutes ago, why is, why is Jesus saying these things? Why is he acting and responding like this? Is he having a bad day? Is he upset because he was booked at the Tyre and Sidon Hilton and she was holding him up from getting there to rest? Well, the answer to all this is no. Jesus cares about this woman. And he cares enough to challenge her faith. And he cares enough to show us how he challenges that faith. And he cares enough to put her story in here so that you and I sitting here today will understand that true faith 
is pleasing to God. And true faith is not what we make it, like the Word of Faith movement has made it. True faith is what the Word of God says that it is. Jesus cared about Gentiles. You can go back to Genesis 12, 3, where the nation of Israel, you know where the nation of Israel came from? Gentiles, that's where they came from. They came from Abram, out of Ur of the Chaldees. Jesus cares, but in His redemptive plan, He's going to work through all of that to reach you and me with His glorious gospel and give us the gift of faith to believe Him. Let's look at the reason for His answer in verse 27 and 28. One of the most common answers to why Jesus is responding to this woman is that Jesus was testing her faith. And, and, and maybe that's true, but I, I think there's more to it than that. I think Jesus knew her heart. And I think He was actually developing and strengthening her faith and then putting that on display for me and you here this morning. You know, a physical therapist, I know those are curse words to some of you who've had surgeries, but a physical therapist doesn't come to your home to develop strong muscles. That's not why they're there. They come to develop weak muscles or injured muscles. And to do that, they give, a, and there's therapists here in our, in our congregation this morning, and they will tell you that the way they do that is to offer opposing motion. You've had a shoulder surgery. Raise your shoulder up. You go, I'm good. And back down. And they, then they come back and you're able to do this. But then at some point, they put resistance there to strengthen those muscles. So Jesus seems to oppose her in our text he seems to fight against her despite the fact that He's not there to deny her nor to hurt her. He is there to give her her desires because it is Him that she wants and she knows only He can help her daughter. Ultimately, He wants to put this woman's faith on display. As the therapist ultimately wants that person to use that shoulder or walk freely with that, with that knee or that leg or whatever has been weak or whatever ha has been injured. Christ wants this woman's faith to be on display. He didn't write this, this text for us to question His motives or for us to challenge His responses and say, this is unchristlike, this is not this or that. No, He wants us to understand. And He said something about her that He's only said about one other. He said, great is this woman's faith. He is opposing. But yet He says, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And the Bible said in verse 28, Her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Jesus saw faith in this pagan Gentile. Her eyes had been opened to know Him. Her eyes and heart had been opened to believe Him. For that reason, He granted her the request. The word faith means a lot of things to a lot of people. But it's a key word in our text in verse number 28. Faith is the conviction of the truth about God. It's conviction of the truth about Jesus Christ. Faith is the soul's turning to God and trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ to provide for us everything we need for righteousness and for salvation. Faith is a gift of God. Therefore, saving faith is a commitment of the whole person to the whole Christ. It involves knowledge, yes, it involves agreement with what we know, and then it results in our trusting 
in what we've agreed with what we know that God has revealed about Himself in the Word. In John 3, Nicodemus believed Jesus was a teacher sent from God. That doesn't mean he was saved. In Acts 26-27, King Agrippa believed the Old Testament spoke truth. He says as much in Acts 26-27. In Matthew 27, 3-5, Judas was convinced that Jesus Christ, that Jesus was the Christ, yet none of these possessed saving faith. Faith is knowledge that we get from God moving to conviction and conviction is moving to trust and that's exactly what Jesus does in this text he takes the knowledge of this woman that she had about him in verse number 22 he takes that knowledge and he moves that into conviction by pressing her by ignoring her and then stating clearly openly audibly to his disciples that he hadn't come for them at this time and then she indicates and expresses her trust in verse 25 when she said, Lord, help me. It's the same thing we do when we say, Lord, I'm not worthy to come to you. Lord, I've messed up my life. Lord, I've blowed it. Lord, I've taken everything that I was taught, everything that I knew to be right, and I've went against it. And like this woman, you say, but here I am at your feet because you're the only feet to which I can bow. You're the only one that can save me. You're the only one that can help me. That's what faith is. It's the knowledge moving to conviction and the conviction ultimately moving to trust and confidence. Faith cannot fall short of Jesus Christ or else it ceases to be faith. We live in a world where faith is just so, the Word has been raped. The Word has just been torn apart. But it's a precious Word. It's faith. It's believing everything that God said about Himself. Everything Christ said, not what I said about God, but what God said about Himself. Faith has to have an object, and that object is Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as a leap into faith. Well, I believe there is, preacher. Then don't do this, but I would say, you have to be careful now because people do it. But I would say, take an airplane, go up 3,000 feet without a parachute and leap out there believing God's going to catch you. Don't do that. Faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith is a walk in the light. You say, well, I believe. That's faith. No. Remember the song and. I can't remember all the stuff now. I'm back in my, I'm going backward. But my generation up will remember this song is popular. I believe for every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. You do know we would have died by daffodil suffocation in the last three months, right? Right? I believe that somewhere in the great beyond a candle glows. That's just throwing stuff out there. No, faith is believing in what God said about Himself. Somebody told this woman that that Jesus was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. And she believed that. God gave her faith to believe that and trust in that. O woman, great is thy faith. Great means mega, huge, large faith. Faith. Why does Jesus say, O woman, great is thy faith? Why does He zero in on her faith? Why didn't he zero in on other things? Because faith comes from God. Salvation is through faith. Romans or Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
Our response in salvation is faith, but even that is not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. There's no such thing as faith in faith. That's another word of faith. Lie, that's but faith in faith. In faith. That, that don't even make sense. God would not want this woman to rely on herself. Of course, she had no pedigree to rely upon. But he brings her to this conclusion and says, Your faith is great. Why does he say that? Because he wants us to know that the just, Habakkuk 2.4, shall live by faith. And again, the Apostle Paul quotes the same thing in his writings. He also tells us we are justified by faith. Romans 3.28, Romans 5.1, Galatians 2.16, Galatians 3.11 and 24. So the words of Jesus in this story, they're important for us this morning who are a part of His kingdom. As I said, saving faith does not simply acknowledge belief in the person of Jesus. The devils believe in God and tremble. That's not more than, it's more than that. It doesn't believe in just His power to do miracles. But saving faith acknowledges Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, the Lord and the Messiah. This Gentile Canaanite pagan woman living in a region condemned and under the judgment of Almighty God, she becomes exhibit A for what it means to have faith. And all of us here this morning are tempted from time to time to think or believe that God owes us something or that we deserve what we've been given. That's, that's unbiblical thinking. Our only hope to stand before a holy and a righteous God is by appealing, as this woman did, to His mercy, to His grace. For it is by His grace alone that anyone enters into His kingdom. Now later on, after Christ dies, after He is buried, after He resurrects, after He ascends, and when we get into the book of Acts, the lost sheep of the house of Israel have rejected Him, so the message turns to the Gentiles. But Christ is giving us a little picture here. He did come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But whenever sinners anywhere say, Lord, help me, thank God we have a Savior that's able to do just that. If you're here this morning or you're listening this morning by other means and you're a lost sinner, do the same thing this woman did. Come to Christ. Come to Christ with your limited understanding. Come to Christ with your, with your great... Come to whatever level of understanding you have. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Bring everything to Him. Come like she came. Come humbly. Come honestly. Tell Him exactly what... I got a, I got a girl that's demon-possessed. Tell Him exactly. Come honestly. Come verbally. She was crying out, the text says, crying out, making a loud sound for help. Come like this woman came, believing in Christ. This Canaanite woman cried out for mercy. She cried out for help. Why shouldn't you? You can this morning by God's grace. She exercised the faith she had been given. Why shouldn't you? John 3.36 he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, 
but the wrath of God abideth on him. For all that this woman had going on in her life, she had great thoughts about the Christ to which she came. And I'm grateful that no matter who you are and where you are, you can come to Christ with the assurance that He is who He said that He is. This woman was honest about her daughter's condition. It was beyond her ability to solve. But if you think only of your sins and your problems, it will drive you into despair. And if you go back and read this text, when she communicates in this text, she says one time, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil, and the rest of her communication is about him. Preacher, you don't understand how deep I am in sin. You don't understand how marvelous and gracious our God is. You say, Preacher, you don't know how low I am. You don't understand that His hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Always keep your focus and your thoughts upon Him. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank You this morning for taking us back to about nine or ten months before Your crucifixion. Taking us back and showing us a scene. Lord, a scene that is puzzling. And Lord, it still puzzles me sometimes when I read this over the many years and times that I've preached it. It still, it still staggers me to look at this and see how you responded and try to understand why. But Lord, I thank you for bringing my faith along. I've not arrived, but thank you for bringing my faith along and helping me even this week to see that you are showing us a picture of your redemptive plan. And Lord, no matter where we are in that plan, whether we had been there before Calvary, whether we had been there at Calvary or in the days right after Calvary, or where we are this morning, 2008, odd years on the other side of Calvary. Lord, You do care, and You do give people faith to believe that You are Lord. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. I pray this morning, Lord, even now as I'm praying, and even now as the Word is soaked into men's hearts, that even now, there at the pew or at home this evening, with their open Bible, or tomorrow morning with these thoughts still on their mind, that if they've never cried out for help, may they cry out for help this morning, knowing that you're the Lord who helps His people. Keep our focus on you. Help us to keep telling the world who you are. Help us to have faith, increase our faith. May we believe you. May we worship you. May we constantly find ourselves bowed before you. Lord, may we never assume that we are entitled to a hearing with You or that we are entitled to You listening to us. May we never, Lord, think we can walk in and demand anything of You. And Lord, help us to never believe that ungodly truth that we can speak something and it has to happen. But help us to be men and women and young people who read what You said in Your Word about You and just believe it. And Lord, you said that you came to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord, help me to believe that. 
you said if we would come to you, that you would in no wise cast us out. Help me to believe that. You, Lord, said that with the heart we believe and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Help us to believe that. And Lord, you said that you came unto your own and your own received you not, but to as many as received you, that you gave them power to become the sons of God, even to them that would believe on your name. Lord, I believe that. I professed that when I was nine years old. Help me, Lord, to continue to believe that and to live that and to share that with a lost and a dying world. Thank you again for this story. Increase our faith. Draw us close to you. Keep our focus on Jesus. And we'll thank you for all you do. Again, be with our church family. Help all the needs today, these that, are, these that are at home recovering. I pray you'd give them strength and encouragement. I pray for the Stevens family this afternoon. You'd be with them. Lord, for Mabel Sudruth, I pray for her today. Lord, that you'd help her. You'd be with her. Lord, you'd, you'd strengthen her in ways that only you can and, and others in our church today. Lord, work in it all to your glory and to your honor. For it's in your precious name we pray and ask these things. Amen.